Our Lord Jesus Christ now brings us to uh, this time where we worship him by listening to what his word has to say. And I encourage you, and you've heard me say this before, I can speak to eardrums, but it's the Spirit of God who has to speak to hearts. And it's up to each of us, myself included, to listen to what the Word is saying, even as it's being preached. Um, Some of you know the name Sinclair Ferguson. He's retired now. He's a pastor for years. I think he was in North Carolina, Scottish uh, uh, preacher. And um, a young pastor asked Sinclair Ferguson one time, whose sermons do you listen to the most? And he said, my own. And the, the young preacher looked kind of shocked. And then Sinclair Ferguson said, no, no, it's not like I enjoy hearing myself preach. But he says, it's my sermons are the ones I hear the most, and I have to listen to them as I preach. And that's true, having to listen to what the Word of God says, even, even for the one who's preaching it. Uh, this is the Word of the Lord. We're coming to Revelation chapter 1 today because I, I think with what we're seeing, and, and, I, and I appreciated that Mike um, prayed for the situation in the Middle East, and um, we're seeing uh, rising uh, evil in many places in the world. I was talking to Pastor Jim at Woodland Shores, and he said, he says, he's just trying to wait. Are we seeing more evil, or we just have more access to hear the news of the evil? And I thought it was a good question. But he and I both agreed what we're seeing in our country and what's happening. We've not seen this before. Um, a, a darkness is descending on our nation, and evil is rising. Uh, what the Bible calls desperate wickedness, where people are desperate to do wicked and evil things. Um, it was during a time when I was preaching through Isaiah here, it, was, it, it really struck me as I was going through the passages of Isaiah. There's always times where there is perversion, where there is evil and darkness present in a nation. The turning point is when the leaders start by condoning it, and then they uh, start promoting it, and then uh, they start requiring it. And that's when a nation is done, and darkness falls. It was also interesting when I was reading the passage where God announces his judgment against the nation Moab. What's, Moab was an archenemy of Israel in Isaiah's day. And Isaiah sees a vision of God's judgment coming upon Moab. And in, in the night, Isaiah sees the judgment in a vision. And Isaiah weeps and trembles at what he sees. He had no joy in seeing what was going to happen to Moab and uh, God's judgment falling. So coming to Revelation chapter 1, because as the Spirit of God is writing this through John, we are seeing this moment of we have the church and God's people on earth as well as what is going on behind the scenes in heaven. And Revelation is quite remarkable that way, that you have the reality 
of what's happening on earth with the church and God's people and what's happening behind the scenes in heaven through history and the powers of darkness and the battle against the Lamb of God and the gospel. And uh, these two realities are going on here in the book of Revelation. Uh, John is the author, human author. John, it's the same John, if you're getting familiar with the Bible, same John who, write, who wrote the Gospel of John and who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was the youngest apostle, very possibly in his late teenage years, when he became a disciple. Uh, he was the one that leaned against Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. When they would eat, they oftentimes would eat like spokes of a wheel. The table was in the center. They would recline on their left elbow, and they would eat with their right hand. And apparently John was right next to Jesus. Here's this young disciple. And what a word of encouragement to our teens. Here's this young disciple, maybe in his late teens, and he just leans back against Jesus. Jesus probably putting his arm around him and hugging him. And all the disciples knew that John had a very tender place in Jesus' heart as a young man. Well, at this point now, John is an old man. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. He's probably younger than I am. Uh, he's in his 60s. He was a young guy. Okay, so anyhow, John is uh, in his 60s. But uh, when you're 60s in those days in the Roman Empire, you're an old man. He's in his 60s. He's been exiled to the island Patmos. Patmos was about 30 miles offshore from what we would call modern-day Turkey. And at that time, uh, it was just rocky and barren, volcanic rock, uh, no trees at that time. It was, and it was where um, the emperor would exile people that he did not want influencing others in his empire. And so here is John, this loving, godly leader, exiled to Patmos for the gospel, for the good news. And no doubt it would seem he is praying for those churches because it's almost as if when you look at the passage, when, when Jesus says, send it to these seven churches, it's almost said in a particular way, to leave us the impression those very churches that you are burdened for, John, that you're praying for right now, I have a message for you to send to them. And as we look at this whole passage, I want us to, to take a look at it in this way, that it's time again to remember the realities of where we live and serve and walk with Jesus Christ. And I want to point out four realities today. And I know we know them, but I think we need the reminder. Number one, Jesus Christ is ruling over all. Jesus Christ is ruling over all. Second, Jesus Christ walks among his churches. Third, Jesus Christ sends his messengers. And fourth, Jesus Christ will bend every knee. He will bend every knee. So we look at the passage again, and uh, let's go back here. Revelation 1, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And notice he calls him Jesus. He uses that very, that personal human name showing his bond, his close bond with the Savior he had walked with. 
I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to these seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. As the book of Revelation continues to open up, so we get into chapter 4. The chapters 2 and 3 are these letters to these churches. Chapter 4, John is called to come up and see what's going on in heaven. And there's this glorious scene and moment before the throne of God that the Ancient of Days, the Heavenly Father, is holding a scroll. And nobody in all of creation is qualified to take the scroll out of God's hand. And then he says, I see one who steps forward like a lamb who had been slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah Judah steps forward and he is able to take the scroll out of God's hand and all of heaven and earth fall down in worship. This is the glorious King Jesus. He alone has authority to take the scroll and he alone has authority to open the scroll with all the events that will occur and all of the judgments that will be poured out. He rules over all. You have the churches walking with him on earth, and he is the Lord of his churches. He's the Lord of his church, but he is the Lord of his churches living on the face of the earth, only seeing partially what all is happening, But he is the Lord over all of creation, the Lord over all the nations, the Lord over all of history. And he is the Lord ruling over all. And in the book Revelation, there is that tension going on between what the believers are facing on earth and what's happening behind the scenes, which they cannot see, but we are able to see by faith by reading God's word. Now, I know Revelation, people... People like to study Revelation, hopefully getting an answer like, where does Donald Trump fit in? You know, I mean, things like that. You know, where where do we get the answers for what's going on in Congress or the Supreme? And how does the chart work out? And what's the timeline? And what's happening with this nation? And there's all kinds. You know this. If you've had any time studying the Bible and you have different study Bibles or here podcasts, you know there's all kinds of views about all kinds of stuff going on in the world in terms of looking at the book Revelation. This is the one book where God clearly says, he says, you need to read this book and you need to keep, keep means believe and obey, you need to read this book and you need to keep it in your heart and you will be blessed. And ironically, it's the one book we tend to avoid because there's so many things we don't understand. But here's what I want to say. Because of that promise, if you read it and you take it to heart and hold on to it, you will be blessed in your walk with Christ. Don't worry about the things you don't understand. There will be plenty of things that are crystal clear that you will understand. You will understand the ultimate defeat of Satan. You will understand that the powers of darkness tremble before the glory of Jesus. You will understand that the 
that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is victorious in the end. You will understand that Christ is ruling over all. You will understand that he takes care of his own people. You will understand that the most fearsome schemes of the adversary will be defeated. You will understand the need for lost sinners to repent and come to Christ, lest they end up in hell in the lake of fire. You will understand the need for the gospel to go forward. There will be plenty that you will understand. Don't worry about the parts you don't understand. Catch the picture. Catch the image. And the first reality I want us to just keep in mind as we just see this passage open up, Jesus Christ is ruling over all Now, John, I don't think, was expecting to have this happen. I think it was Sunday. He wanted to be with his people. He couldn't. He was in exile. Like I said, I think there's a hint here. He was praying for these very churches because Jesus says to him, now I have a message that's going to go to these churches. The reason I don't think he was expecting this to happen is the voice comes from behind. Um, we, we were there at, uh, at the Youth for Christ conference, and, and it's the, you know, people are arriving and buses are coming in from the airport and this and that, and we're talking to different people, kind of meeting some new people we'll be working with. And I'll never forget this, that there's, we're talking with one couple that was in charge of the volunteers, and this young gal comes up behind this, this woman, Judy, comes up right behind her and leans her chin on Judy's back. And so... And so Judy turns, but every time Judy turns, the girl turns with her. And so, and it was just kind of comical because, and then Judy turns around and here is this young gal she had not seen in a long time. It was a surprise to her. And, and, and I think there's a, a picture here that as John is praying for these churches, he hears a voice behind him. And the voice behind him, the first Statement is, write a message to these churches. And John is going to turn around to see who's giving him this message. Now, John, it says he's in the spirit. It doesn't mean he was in some kind of spooky trance. He was an apostle. He was aware when the Holy Spirit would come upon him as an apostle, he would write with authority. So he has the Holy Spirit upon him. He hears from the Spirit of God. He hears a voice Write these messages I give you on a scroll and send it to the churches. He turns around to see who's telling him this, and he sees Jesus Christ in all his glory, at least as much glory as John could handle, because it was right at the edge that John falls down like a dead man before the glory of Jesus Christ. And before he sees, look at the passage, before he sees Jesus, what does he turn and see? Seven golden lampstands and someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. And he is standing there among these lampstands. And in his hand, verse 16, he holds seven stars. Out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And later on, Jesus says, I walk among the lampstands. And he warns churches, I will remove your lampstand. I will remove your lampstand if you are not faithful. There are churches that still are called a church. They still have a building. 
but they no longer have the good news of Jesus. They've been removed. They might have a building, they might have a name, but they no longer have light. And here is Jesus Christ standing there among the lampstands. In the Old Testament, there was one lamp stand in the temple because worship was focused on Israel's temple and all the nations were to come toward that. Now the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the living temple and as the gospel goes out, there are all these lamp stands, plural, scattered over the face of the earth where the gospel is going forward. Uh, when we were there at the conference, uh, they told us you will see some Youth for Christ international workers with an orange lanyard. We all had lanyards with our name tag and whatever. If it's an orange one, don't post their picture on social media because they are in restricted and dangerous nations sharing the gospel with teens. Here's the, here are these lampstands. Here, here are the message going forward throughout the nations. Jesus says, I'm going to send you into all of the nations. And he walks among the churches. And I want us to stop and really take this to heart. I think we would quickly agree, but I want us to ponder this in our hearts for a moment. Jesus Christ as he walks among the churches, he walks among our church. He knows exactly what our church needs. Sometimes people say, well, all churches are the same. They're not all the same. If all churches were the same, John would have only needed to write one letter. Or Paul would have only needed to write one letter. Or Peter would have only needed to write one letter. All churches are not the same. As Jesus walks around our church body, the question is, what does he see? What does he know we need? And I want us to understand that is a burning passion the Spirit of God wants to stir in us. That we would long to know what does the Lord of this church want this church to be? When he looks at us, what is his message? Now, I'm not talking about an extra special message from a voice from heaven. I'm talking about the word of God. But there is a way, and we'll look at this in the next point, there is a way in which the word of God is brought home to the people of God in the local church for them to understand what they need and what that church needs. And the spirit of God is faithful. He will Make known to us, if we want to know, what do you want to do in our church? Our church is going through transition here. We're still, Nancy and I are still listed as members here. We know, it, it really seems the Lord's given us a clear indication of the church he's going to plug us into there in Michigan. But this church is still written on our hearts. And as the church changes, it's going through a lot of changes. You know, the Lord brought Pastor Stephen and his family here back about five years ago. Uh, we've seen Mark and Yvonne move on to another ministry. Uh, others have left. New people are coming. It's a transition time. The, the world around us is changing in a lot of ways. What does the Lord Jesus Christ want to do with our church? And I think that it has to be a burning passion in our hearts, a burning passion of our prayers, 
We say, Lord, what do you want to do with us as a church body? Jesus Christ walks among us churches. He sees each church and what it needs. It's interesting, the seven churches that are listed here, um, one of them received no rebuke. One of them received no commendation. And then the other five, they were rebuked in some ways and commended in other ways. Lord, what do you desire for our church here? May the Spirit of God stir that in us as, as an ongoing prayer. Because he does work with his churches. He takes them through new seasons. He builds them up in new ways. He gives them new opportunities. He surprises them with new openings. He sets challenges before us to build up our faith. What does the Lord desire as he walks among our church? Third, Christ sends his messengers. Now, he refers to this. Let's go to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, I, it's going to seem like I'm going down a little <clears throat> rabbit trail here, but I'm going to ask you to bear with me because it, it ties in very importantly with how we understand the preaching that goes on in this pulpit. And this pulpit belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. What goes on in this pulpit? And it has to do with this word angel. Now, literally, this word that you see in your Bible, and I checked a lot of translations, and a lot of them, just about almost all of them, except for one I found of a Greek scholar, translates it literally. The word angel is literally messenger, angelos. So translators simply took angelos, turned it into angel, but in their language, bear with me here, if you read it, in, if you were Greek and you were reading it, you'd read it as messenger, and then you had to figure out, is this a heavenly messenger? Or an earthly messenger. In the book of Luke, it says John the Baptist sent angelos, messengers, to Jesus asking, are you the one or should we look for another? Now the translators, and maybe it's just because of traditionally how it's been for a lot of times, put in the word angel. So it seems like he's talking to heavenly angels. It's very clear he's talking to human messengers for three reasons. One, angels are not put in charge of churches. We don't have an angel we check in with. You know, when the elders would meet. Maybe that would help. I don't know. But, you know, the elders meeting, and, uh, yeah, well, our angel came and met with us too. There are not angels put in charge of churches. Second, the reason it's a human messenger is because the messengers themselves, in some cases, are addressed singular, like, let's say I was a messenger to Thyatira, and I'm taking the message. The message I have to take to the church, in some ways, is also said, you too, Greg, have to repent of this. Not just the people, you as the messenger. Well, angels who are sealed in faithfulness to Christ, they don't sin. They don't have any opportunity for repentance. If they did rebel, it was with Satan and their demons. These are human messengers. Now, there's something remarkable that's starting to happen here that I want us to, 
to just consider the, the gracious hand of the Savior. John is in exile on Patmos. These seven churches are listed in the order that he would naturally have traveled the roads of western Turkey, what was called Asia Minor. He would have naturally traveled to these churches in this order. Jesus is saying to John, you are going to send a message. It's as if you are going to the churches you want to see. You won't go, but the messengers will. And the very fact that the messengers either, we don't know. We don't know if they were already there on the island visiting John. We don't know if he was unaware that the messengers were coming. We don't have that information, but one thing we do know is he was going to be speaking to each messenger that might, who knows, maybe it was a deacon who came, maybe it was a leading elder, maybe it was a pastor teacher, maybe it was uh, someone designated by their church. We don't know. They're just called messengers. He was going to be speaking to each one of those messengers and have written on a scroll a message, and he would give it to this messenger and say, you must take this back to Pergamum. And this is a message from the Lord for your church. And he would read it. And he would read that sometimes the word you is in plural and sometimes a singular meaning is the messenger. He had to heed the instruction as well. These messengers had come to John and John was sending them back. But this is what I want you to notice. In the right hand of Jesus are the messengers. Now, think for a minute. The the lampstands stand separately and Jesus walks among them. But in the right hand of Jesus are these messengers. They appear as stars. And you know at night, when it's a clear sky here in the Adirondacks, and you look up and you see the stars piercing the darkness. Here are these messengers who have an opportunity to pierce the darkness where they are. These are not the only messengers that are in the right hand of Jesus. And I want us to consider this. If we could open up the the right hand of Jesus and we would see countless messengers piercing the darkness with the word of God, one of the stars and messengers we would see in the right hand of Jesus is Stephen Caldwell. If you're here today to get in your sermon, and that's what you want, you want to come, I'll get in my sermon, get my sermon for the day, for the week. I can assure you, Stephen Caldwell is an excellent theologian. And he is an excellent student of scripture. And he can do sermons. But if you come saying, well, I just want to get my sermon in. I had my sermon. You miss why he's here. He's in the right hand of the Savior to bring a message. Not just a sermon. A message from Jesus Christ, the Lord of this church, to us, the people of this church, to hear what Jesus has to say to us from his word.
And while we might say, well, what's the difference between that and a sermon? A sermon is a mechanical tool, but a message is something that the Spirit of God writes on the pastor's heart that he knows the church needs to hear, and he himself knows he needs to hear it too. I have preached for 50 years with sadness and remorse. I remember the times when I would go through a season of just doing sermons and had lost touch with the passion of bringing the message that Jesus Christ wanted brought to his people. The Lord never designed preaching to be entertainment. In the city of Leicester, Paul and Barnabas were there. Their preaching was so impressive, so impressive. The people said, it's like the gods have come down. And they wanted to offer sacrifices to Zeus for these impressive preachers. And Paul and Barnabas run into the crowd, ripping open their cloaks and saying, what is wrong with you? This is idolatry. This is the very thing God wants to free you from. Don't you understand we're trying to bring you a message of life? In the Old Testament, I want to read this to you. It's from Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel was a prophet to Israel. They'd gone into captivity because of their horrible idolatry, their greediness, um, their false worship, their sin and immorality. God takes them to captivity and sends them the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel starts his ministry. He's about 25 years old. And he went on, I think he preached for about 25, 30 years. Listen to this, Ezekiel 33. And, and uh, the, Lord of, the Lord of heaven would call Ezekiel son of man as a, as a foreshadow of Jesus, the son of man coming. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. As for you, son of man, listen to, th- listen to this. Your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, listen to this, indeed, To them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. When all this comes true, meaning the warnings of judgment, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them, not an entertainer. I want to stress this, because I think it's vital, and, and, and this is something I think is close for us right here in our locale. We live near a conference center that has well-known preachers come, and people want to go hear the well-known preachers. 
I would say there's hardly any exceptions to this. How many of those well-known preachers have you personally written on their heart? Probably maybe one in a thousand. There's one preacher who lives with you on his heart day in and day out, sent as a messenger from Jesus Christ for his life and your life and your lives together for this church. It is so dangerous. I, I, um, I had a friend, I, I have a friend who at times has spoken uh, in Camp of the Woods, and he's a good enough friend I could ask him. I was having lunch with him one day when he was there some years back, and I said, I want to ask you something. Do you face any, the reason I was asking him is I want to know if it's just me. <laughs> so do I, would I just have this problem? And uh, I said, do you face any special temptations when you preach here? He goes, oh, yeah. He says, I have the temptation that I want people to say it was a good, good sermon. They really liked it. I face the temptation. I want the leadership to be happy. I, want, I face the temptation. I hope they invite me back. He says, I battle all of those when I get up to preach. He's very honest with me. There's nothing wrong with the preachers there. The danger is, and I've heard it and you've heard it too, and maybe you've even said it. Oh, when this one comes, I like his preaching better than I like that one. Kind of like I like Taylor Swift better than I don't know any other names. Anyhow, <laughs> than Margaret Bravinsky. I don't know. I have no idea who I oh, You can't miss Taylor Swift. I don't know who the others are. I like that one better than this one. There is no place in Scripture that says you like this preacher better than others, except in Corinth where Paul rebuked that. He said, you're all crazy about these, what they call super apostles. They even said, Paul, when you come, I mean, your letters are weighty, but you're not much of a preacher, not compared to these super preachers we have. The danger is not with having well-known preachers nearby to preach. The danger is in us that we are like the people of Ezekiel's day. We're like, I really like to hear this preacher. Why? When I was at the other church, there was a man who came up to me, and I appreciate what he did. He said, I won't be here next Sunday because so-and-so is going to be at Camp of the Woods, and I want to go over and hear him. So I said to him, I said, that's fine. I said, but just make sure you're going to listen to him, not because he's a well-known preacher, but because you want Jesus Christ to use him to drive the word home to your heart so you can walk more faithfully with Christ. And I'll never forget, he looked at me like, what? I'm going to hear a well-known preacher. I said, that's not why you need to go. And I urged him. I said, you go, and I'll I'll tell you too, uh, before Nancy and I moved up here and we've come to Camp the Woods, Numerous times, speakers there were used by Jesus Christ to bring renewal, repentance, restoration, hope, and encouragement in my life. He has, and he's done that. I'm sure he's done in your lives. I'm warning us, though, to be very careful and for us to understand with a sense of awe 
and wonder amazement. That in the right hand of the Lord of glory is our pastor as a messenger for Jesus to us as a church. How many of us would want to carry all the rest of us on our heart all week long and every Sunday seek to address all of us on what we need to hear from the Lord? Paul said, who is sufficient to do that? And I urge you uh, a couple ways here on this. Number one, as often and whenever you can, and nobody makes it all the time, as often as whenever you can, you'll be here on Wednesdays, and yet we pray through the prayer list and the different needs. But you pray and you say, Lord, lay hold of our pastor. Strengthen him. He is not humanly sufficient for this. Help him Bring to us the message you want us to hear as a church. Not just to me individually, but what do you want us to hear as a church? And when the Lord brings him to mind, you pray for him, and you pray for Mary, and you pray for their family, and the Lord's care and protection over them. He is in the right hand of the Savior, and the adversary knows that. The adversary knows the Bible. And when you speak to Pastor Stephen, tell him how Jesus Christ spoke to your heart in some way from the message he brought. That will lift up his soul because that's what his burden is. Are you meeting with Jesus Christ? When I first started as a pastor... My brother, my older brother, who led me to Christ, he said, you know what your number one job is? Of course, I was a young pastor. I thought I better know what my number one job is. But I said, well, why don't you tell me? <laughs> I wasn't sure I was going to get the answer right. He said, your job as a shepherd is to help the people hear the voice of the chief shepherd. I never forgot that. I wasn't always faithful to it, but I never forgot that. Jesus Christ sends his messengers. He empowers them and strengthens them. It says in the book of Acts that the Lord's hand of blessing was on the preachers in certain places where they saw fruit. We want to pray for the Lord's hand of blessing to be on Pastor Stephen. Finally, last reality, Jesus Christ will bend every knee. John turns around. First he sees the churches, and then he sees Christ in as much glory as he could humanly handle. The grace of God, the grace of Jesus is coming through, displaying his glory. The mercy of Jesus is keeping John from being consumed by it. And he falls down like a dead man. And then I fell at his feet. He placed his right hand on me. There's the right hand again. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I want to say something to every one of us here. And I'm probably a little more tuned every time I have a birthday. 
and I'm at that stage in life, and some of us are, we're rounding third base. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> some might say I'm getting old. I'm just rounding third base. The day is going to come when I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. The day is going to come when every one of us is going to stand before Jesus Christ. We don't often probably think about that. probably passes our thoughts different times. We'll be surprised by a song we're singing or a message from God's word. We all are going to stand before Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. You can say you don't believe in gravity. Jump off the roof and it's still going to have the same effect. You say, I don't believe that. You are. John was surprised at the vision he received. This is one way of John saying, this is the Savior. This is the Lord of glory. Every one of us, every one of you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus warns, he says, you are condemned already if you have not believed in me because you haven't believed in the name of the Son of God who died for your sins. Every knee will bow. Every knee that knows him will bow in adoration and joy and celebration. And every knee that does not believe will bow in horror that their condemnation now comes on them. There is no escape but through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm urging any of you. I'm urging any of you who have Christian culture but have never trusted Christ as Savior. You don't know Jesus. I am urging you today, come to Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. Turn from your sin, your rebellion. I don't, it doesn't matter what your rap sheet looks like. It can't be any worse than mine. And you turn to the one who died on the cross for your sins, and he will forgive you. And you will be his forever. You will be his forever and he will watch over you no matter what the world has happened. I urge any of you who have been fighting against him, come to him today. Lay down your weapons. You know what the rainbow signifies? In, in, you know, It says, well, he won't flood the earth again. The rainbow is the same term. It means battle bow. When God put the rainbow in the sky, he said, I'm laying down my battle bow. And the battle bow was now facing the throne of God so that the one on the throne would take the arrow for us. It's a graphic picture. Come to Jesus Christ who took the piercing for you. Please don't delay Something that has struck me, and probably you too, in the last several months, last year, the number of shocking and surprising deaths of young men and women who we know from this, that, or the other realm. And I know people are always dying. I understand that. But it just seems like some unusual things where people are saying, I can't believe it. Another 23-year-old athlete just drops dead on the, on the high school gymnasium floor. Or another one over here. What? And we live on the edge of eternity. The messenger who stands here in Jesus' pulpit stands on the edge of eternity, pleading with us who live on the edge of eternity to make sure we know Jesus Christ, to 
put all our hope in him. And I'm pleading with any of you who have never trusted Christ as Savior, you do so today. If there's any question in your mind of what that means, you talk with me, I'll be up front. And please be comforted. May we all be comforted like Jesus comforted John when we take to heart the glory of Christ. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I was dead, but I'm alive now, and I'm alive for you. Please don't delay on this. Please don't put it off. Please don't fight it. Jesus Christ will bend every knee. Make sure your knee is his now, today. All right, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Oh, Father, um, uh, you know... Nancy's heart and my heart overflow um, with joy of seeing brothers and sisters that are so dear to us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this pulpit that is yours still today, and we want it always to be that way till you return. Father, we need these realities, and we pray you would work and move, that your hand would be upon the message that's gone out to bear fruit. Father, I pray for anyone that has never trusted Christ as Savior, that today, Lord Jesus, they would come to you. Not come to Christian culture, not come to church stuff, but come to you. Even those that feel like they're, they're past hope, that you are the Lord who gives hope to the lost and says, come, come. So we ask your gracious blessing on us now. May your hand be mighty and powerful on this, your church, as you walk among us. And we ask it, Lord Jesus, in your name and all for your glory. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>